0: Good morning. How are y'all this morning? It's another Sunday and another difficult topic. So let's, hey, morning, let's uh, pray and then we'll get started for today. Father, we thank you for this time, this chance to get together to deal with difficult topics, to see what your word says and to prepare ourselves for conversations that we know will come Um, you you command us to be equipped and the goal for today is to be equipped father uh, speak your word clearly to us so that we know what you are saying and anything that's not from you please let it go by the wayside in Jesus name amen so a couple things before we get started Um, I heard from a lot of people Um, This week about last week's and the one thing I heard more than anything is boy. That was full and it was Um, So what I did was my notes from last week If you're somebody who is really wanting those verses and being able to go back and look at that all these notes are listed underneath the the, um, Sermon audio. I'm sorry the um, Sunday school audio on the church's website. There's a link to the notes for last week and the notes for this week. So if you need access to those, they're there for you. You can go find those because I did cover a lot of Scripture last week. We're going to cover a decent amount of Scripture this week, not nearly as much as we covered last week. Um, so topic for this week. And if, you, if you've if you been paying attention over the last three or four Sundays, really the focus has been... Um, Difficult topics through two worldviews. So this: what's a secular worldview? What's the Bible say? In that process, we have to develop new vocabulary. We need to get away from evolutionized vocabulary, secular vocabulary. We don't talk about races because there's only one race. We don't talk about racism because it's partiality from Scripture's perspective. And we're going to do the same thing today. Today's topic is dealing with LGBTQ questions, homosexuality, gender issues, um, and we're going to cover that, talk about that from a scriptural perspective. So let's get an idea of where we've come from. Well, this this stuff, the LGBT stuff, and, and I'm not going to go into all of these different pieces, um, but it's not new. It's been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. It looks a little different here and there. They use different vocabulary here and there, but it's been around. Um, Where it became mainstream in the United States was about 1972 when the first big movie hit with two homosexual characters. From then on, it's been Hollywood's goal to make it normal. It's common, it's not normal, it's common now. Um, But even shows like uh, what are considered to be conservative shows, Last Man Standing, um, in fiscal areas, they, they deal with conservative topics, but they treat this as normal. So even those that live in the conservative world are accepting this as okay. And it's just built through TVs, it's movies, and nowadays it's in video games and it's in graphic novels, what we would call comic books for this, us old folks. Okay. Have you seen the change in Superman now? Yes, but even graphic novels that are in the middle schools and the elementary schools are representing this stuff. And the word graphic novel is appropriate because it's graphic. So this is stuff that's become common across our society. And you know it because it's everywhere. Every every commercial that comes on nowadays, most TV shows have at least one homosexual character. Um, all, almost all the movies, Star Wars, very subversively, but it's there if you're if you're paying attention. So, it's it's all across the board. So the part of this is is over the, since 1972. Actually, it started in the 60s. Okay, that's when it really. Um, Got its start and it didn't get its start on the homosexual side. It got its start on the sexual revolution side where marriage was less important. Sex is okay outside of marriage. That's um, that time frame, 60s to the early 70s when abortion was legalized. Why? Not because it was truly a medical issue, but because it got rid of the consequences of sinful behavior before that then pornography starts to take a groundhold on everything. And after pornography, homosexuality, and that's a pick, pick your letter, right? LGBTQ, we're all talking. It's, it's, what it boils down to is people want to be considered special. They're unique from everybody else. So they create their own next letter so that separates them from others. Now we've worked through the letters. It's I think IA and then there's a plus because it's gonna, they're gonna continue to add to that. After Obergefell, which legalized uh, same-sex marriage, the T became the focus. So transgender was then, it was homosexuality and then it was bisexual and now it's transgender and we're getting into these others. In the schools, gender issues, is what's the foundation right now it's okay if i'm physically a boy for me to say that i'm a girl and that's being pur- purported as being acceptable and then the next one coming folks and it's already been legalized in california legalized pedophilia it's common okay so all of these things and if we walk through scripture and if you walk through the book of genesis you see the progression you got a man and a, wa- a woman, and then you have a man with two wives, and then and it works its way through the sexual progression where it gets into the more and more deviant behaviors. What is it to be legalized in California pedophilia? What does that apply They have decriminalized it. So right. if, um, if a man has relations with a younger boy, it's no longer criminalized. And they're pushing, and it caught a lot of flack. So it's become very quiet, but it was passed in California that they decriminalized pedophilia. Now, they've put guards on it, specific ages, which you know as well as I do. Five years from now, they're going to stretch those age groups out, just like they did with everything else. They, They slowly move the guides until they've got everything that they want. So yes, it is something that's happened in California. Now, what is all of this based off of? And and let's just be honest, it's all based off of my feelings, my desires. It's what I want, therefore it's okay. And you've heard this, right? You've heard that this is my truth. You've heard this, right? So we have to deal with this as a whole from a scriptural perspective so that we have a good understanding of what, truth is okay so it starts with this first sunday school lesson we talked uh second peter chapter one we talked about the bible being truth so the bible is our foundation for what is true so let's go there all right so for starters i'm going to work through a couple of verses to kind of help us um, grab a mindset for for where this discussion is going to lead and then i'm going to give you three things that we're going to focus on um, Jeremiah 17, 9, and this is a common verse uh, when we're talking about um, human activity. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And that's a common verse we've heard, but did you, have you ever heard um, Ecclesiastes Nine three attached to that. Let me read that one for you. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Further, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. So we're talking about the heart of mankind being desperately sick, being completely evil. Uh, Mark seven, twenty one and twenty two, for from within, out of the heart of men, this is Jesus speaking, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these thing, evil things, proceed from within and defile the man. And then Matthew thirteen fifteen, for the heart of the people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes that lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return. And I should heal them. And that's a quote from Isaiah six ten. And then. Of course, the book of Romans chapter one goes into for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, because what is known about God is evident within them because God has made it evident to them. Verse 21, for even though they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or good thanks, but became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So this whole idea that we're talking about here is the theological term is total depravity. Okay, human beings are totally depraved. Now, does that what does that mean? Because we hear that word and we think we know what it means. and And we have to be careful. Because total depravity doesn't mean that you are absolutely completely evil to the furthest extent you can be. Because we know that not everybody's a serial killer, right? Total depravity has to do with the fact that every aspect of you as a human being is corrupted, it's damaged, it's ruined, including your feelings. So just because you feel like this is the right thing to do doesn't necessarily mean it is. Because as fallen human beings, our feelings are fallen too. Our desires are fallen. So without Christ, and we'll get to that, without Christ, you can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your desires because they're all affected by sin. So that is the foundation for where we're going. You have to understand that. And and as I said before, this is, yes, these are to provide answers for us to be able to speak to people about these topics. But more than anything, this is for us to be equipped. So as believers, we have to understand the foundation to be able to understand the answers. Okay. So three questions for you. And I'm going to cover each one of these three. Number one, what does God say about men and women? Question two, what does God say about LGBTQ plus blah, 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 blah? Okay. Remember vocabulary, secular versus uh, secular versus biblical. Okay. Secular is LGBTQ. The biblical is sexual sin. Okay. And we're going to get to that. But what does God say about that? Three, what does God say about how we should respond? And there's two parts to that. The first part is our attitudes and actions about this. What should they look like? And then how do we respond? Not to the world, because the world doesn't believe that this is true. But people that claim to be Christians, that are in churches that say, and this is one that I've heard numerous times from people, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong for me to be a homosexual Bible doesn't say it's wrong for, for me to be bisexual or transgender Bible doesn't say that's wrong and those are answers that are coming those are questions that are coming from people that are in a church stating that so we have to answer that question we have to go there we have to be able to say this is what the Bible says have you read Romans chapter 1 have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Have you read 1 Timothy chapter 1? Have you read Leviticus? Have you read Genesis? Because it's clear. Okay, so we're going to answer those questions. So, number one, what does God say about men and women? So um, I don't want you to turn with me yet. We'll get to, I want you to be with me when we get to the second point and the third point. The first point's pretty short. What does God say about men and women? Of course, you guys know me, my favorite book, uh, book of Genesis, right? So I'm going back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, verse 27, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle of over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So from the beginning, first chapter of the, book, of the book, God's creation is we are created in God's image, and we are male and female. Right from the beginning. Okay, well, let's keep going. Um <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman, I love that word, fashioned into a woman the rib which he taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, and you've all heard this if you've been to a wedding. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the goal here, okay, first, uh, let me back up. Verse 22, Lord God fashioned a woman. Okay, I love this word because God created. He spoke and created. He spoke and created. It, it was made. He spoke and it was made. He spoke and it was made. He took a rib and he built the woman. He fashioned the woman. Do you see the personal touch just coming from the words? Men and women are not the same. God created man from the dirt. He took a piece of the man and fashioned the woman. Do you see the specialness of that? It, everything else was spoken with a word, just a word. And there's such an impersonalness almost to that Yet when the woman was made, it's like he got his hands dirty. He, he wanted it to be right. Not that it everything else wasn't, but you get the point. The point is he was making this, it was a special creation. Okay? Male and female. Not male and male, not female and female, <laughs> not a man who thinks he's a woman. Male and female. And the relationship is male and female and one flesh. We'll talk more about that next week. Now, why is this important? Well, if you go to the book of Matthew, verses chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, or the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, Jesus quotes chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 2, verse 24 in the same sentence. So he's saying, what was from the beginning is still true today. It's male and female. So <clears throat> first God what is, what does God say about male and female? This is very simple and, and there's there's almost a sarcastic to this but I hope you understand where this is going. You've heard this before. God created Adam and Eve. he didn't create Adam and Steve. okay? There there is no question here. It's man and it's woman, and they're one flesh, but they're distinct and separate. The woman is specially made from the man. Okay? So question number two, what does God say about LGBTQ and, and the biblical term sexual sin? Okay. And this comes specifically because I've had numerous people, students, teachers that I've worked with, that have said, well, the Bible doesn't say, I go to church and the Bible doesn't say. So let's see what the Bible has to say. So if we go through the book of Genesis, where's the first time we see this idea, what they call LGBTQ? Where's the first time we see this idea? Genesis chapter 19. Uh, This is the story of Lot. This is the story of Lot. So Lot travels with Abram. Their their, um, herds get too big. Abram says, you choose the best land. You go that direction, I'll go the other direction. So Lot looks and sees the valley of Sodom. Beautiful pasture fields. He takes his down there. He's in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he moves closer and he moves closer. And finally, he's in one of the two cities. And that's where we find this story. Two angels come and he sees them at the gate. He grabs them, takes them into his house instead of letting them stay in the the public square. And the men of the city hear about it. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. So here's the first indication of this showing up in the book of Genesis. All right, so verse 11, and, they, and the angels struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they were wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. The thing about this LGBTQ, this, this homosexuality is, even when struck with blindness, it doesn't affect the desires, the feelings. They wearied themselves trying to get through the door, even after being struck blind. Verse 13, the angels to Lot, for we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. I would say God's very clear about his perspective on homosexuality. Let's jump to Leviticus 18, verse 22. The, now we're into the law the, the, the book of Leviticus is the laying down of the law Moses writing down the law that God has given for the, for the people of Israel in two different places 18.22 you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination Verse chapter 20 verse 13 if there is a man who lies with a male as those who, one who lies with a female both have committed a detestable act and they shall surely be put to death Their blood guiltiness is upon them. So Leviticus is clear. And and, and a common phrase is, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, well, let's look at Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to do a quick cycle through. Actually, you know what? Let me back up. Let me back up for just a second. I want to... Take you to a book that we don't spend much time in. Okay, we talked about Genesis 19 being Sodom and Gomorrah, that the men of the city were wanting to have relations with the angels. Okay, let me take you to Jude, chapter uh, Jude, verses 6 to 8, because Jude's very clear about this. People people will come up with all kinds of crazy ideas of why Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't about homosexuality. It was about something else. Okay. Well, let's look at Jude and see what Jude has to say. And the angels, who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them Since in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So it wasn't some strange creation of reasons that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It was destroyed because men were going after men instead of men being with women, which is the way it was created. Okay. So let's jump back to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 18. I'm going to work my way through to 32 because I want you to see the progression. We've already read 18 once, so I want you to hear it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four footed animals and crawling creatures. Now here it is, verse twenty four. First one. Okay, we're talk- this is God's judge we're talking about God's judgment, right? Mm. So here's his judgment, verse twenty four. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That would be nineteen sixties. The sexual revolution. That their bodies might be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse twenty-six. For this reason, God gave them over to degraded passions, for the woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman, and burned in their desire towards one another. Men committing, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Okay. Now the homosexual revolution the second God gave them over. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that are not proper. And what do some of those not proper things look like? Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, malice there, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. If you spend any time in public around people, the arrogance, the boastfulness of people, do you not see it? Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving Unmerciful. I have never seen in my lifetime people that are so unmerciful to one another, especially in the last two years. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Romans 1 makes it very clear. Now, is homosexuality, LGBTQ, is that unique? Is it a unique sin? Is it separate from all of these others? No, it's connected to all of these others. In God's eyes, it's no different than all of these others. They all are worthy of God's wrath, every one of them. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to turn there because I want you to see this, this as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And you're going to hear some of this as a rep- repetition of the end of Romans chapter 1, but it's good to hear this repeated. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? Do not be deceived. Hmm. Deception, something we know a lot of in this world. Neither fornicators nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear, isn't it not? Now, I want to break this down because there's four terms in here, and I want you to understand this because this is not really just a discussion this is not really a lesson just about homosexuality. And the church, as well as, as, as others, need to hear this. We're talking about things that make it so that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God, right? That's what this, is, this passage is talking about. Well, the first one that comes up is fornicators. Let me put these terms, which can, because they're, they're biblical terms, sometimes they're a little confusing. Let's make this very easy to understand. Fornicators, people who have sex before marriage, male, female, doesn't matter. If it's before marriage, you're a fornicator. Okay. Uh, adulterers, people who have marriage outside, who people who have sex outside of marriage, with somebody that's not their spouse. So fornicator before marriage, adulterer after marriage. I don't think there are any other options, right? It's either before or it's after, but there's nothing else there. Okay, so don't have sex before marriage, or you're a fornicator. Don't have sex with anybody outside of your marriage, you're an adulterer. And then we get two new two other terms here: the effeminate or the homosexual. And I I did a lot of reading on this because I was curious w- the separation of the two. And just about everything that I read said this. In in most Greek trans, trans- manuscripts, the words used for effeminate and homosexual in this passage, the word effeminate lends itself to the understanding of the passive partner in the relationship. And the word homosexual is the active partner in the relationship. What I mean by that is this. If you look just TV, if you look at movies, people that you know personally um, that that are in a relationship like that, one of them always tends to resemble the male. And one tends to resemble the female dress, haircut, mannerisms. Right? You, you've seen that, right? Okay. That's what this is talking about. the The homosexual in this passage is talking about the the male in that picture. The effeminate is the female in that picture. Whether it's two guys and the guy one guy is effeminate, and we know what that means. Or if it's the two girls and the girl is dressed like a man and she's got the haircut like a man and she talks like a man and she's got the mannerisms of a man, that's the homosexual in this passage. So he's not leaving anything to question. If you're a fornicator, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have sex before marriage, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have sex with somebody that's not your wife or your husband, you're an adulterer, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're an effeminate, the passive partner in this relationship, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're the active partner in that relationship, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you this is pretty clear, is it not? First Timothy chapter one verses nine and ten. And you don't have to turn because I'm, I'm just gonna read this because you just it, it's it's throughout Scripture, realizing the fact that the law is not made for righteous men but those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men, that's general immorality, and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So what does God say about LGBTQ period sexual sin? It's pretty clear. So, this is the other thing. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, who wrote 1 Timothy, is this is his direct connection to Leviticus. This passage is directly connected to the book of Leviticus. So he's saying, what you heard in Leviticus is still true today. Okay, so, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Well, first, our attitude. Let's deal with our attitude first before we deal with responding to somebody else. Ephesians, I want you to turn to Ephesians. Do you like like how the last three weeks I've ended up in Ephesians? I love this book. John and I were talking about this last night. I love this book because it covers so much of the Christian life. And the more I read it, the more I discover just how much it covers the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 14. So what should our attitude be towards this topic, towards people that are living in this lifestyle? What should our attitude be? As a result, we, talking about us as believers, are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, by car- carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in in love, what does that mean? Well, l- l- let me tell you what it's not. Sometimes, telling you what it's not makes it easier to understand what it is. What speaking the truth in love is not is, you know what? I know what the truth is, and you're going to sit there and listen to it. I'm guilty of that, because I know a lot of facts. But there's no compassion with that. There's no, there's no love in that. And if you're not sure what love is, go back and read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not unbecoming. That's love. And telling somebody what the facts are without loving them is not it. Okay, that's where I fail. The other side of this is you know what? We're just going to love on them and provide meals for them. and, and, And hopefully, through all of these things that we do, they'll figure out what the truth is. That's wrong too. Because love without truth is worthless. So we have to be able to speak truth in a way that is patient and kind and understanding and caring. So that's our struggle as believers. We have to learn that balance. Okay. And it's, it, it, it's not easy for me, but I'm sorry. We were talking about this this week, talking about these things. And Pam says to me, well, I don't I, I love people naturally. But, and I want to give. Them, and it's because and we're going to go here right now. This is where I'm going with the next part. Um, and that's because if you have the spirit of Christ, those things do naturally show up. But left to ourselves, they don't. And if somebody like me, who's. Spent his life as a Pharisee. It's really hard. It's easy to give truth. It's hard to be compassionate and loving in the process. So, second part. Christians, and and this is is very specific. Christians who say, these are some of the things that we've heard. Christians who say, well, being gay is who I am. It's how God created me. Well, we've already answered that. Okay? Okay. I can't help it. I can't change. Let's talk about that. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, if you're truly a Christian, this, whatever I'm going, is for people that, if you're really a Christian, you need to understand this. If you're somebody who says you're a Christian, but your life doesn't have the fruit, this probably won't work. And if you're not a Christian, this definitely won't work. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So if he has chosen you, you must be holy and blameless. And homosexuality is sin, and sin is not being holy. So you can't say if you're a Christian, I can't change, because if God chose you, you are to be holy and blameless. Well, let's keep going because, you know, that's still, that can be hard. Verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God, if you are a believer, then God, you are his workmanship, And he's not going to create something and build something and mold something that is sinful. Chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, according to the power that works within us. So if you are truly a believer, you are truly a child of Christ... And he says here in, in Ephesians chapter 3 that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. So if you're struggling in this area or you know somebody who's struggling in this area, you need to get into who you are in Christ. Because as part of Christ, he can do all of these things to cause change. He can make this change in you. If you and then back to Ephesians 4.15. <clears throat> we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, you know, what? one more verse and then I'm, I'm going to finish this up. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. There, Jesus, therefore, was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Not maybe, not kind of. It will make you free. Verses 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Verse 36. If therefore the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. So what is change? What is truly biblical change? Is truly biblical change being heterosexual? Is truly biblical change not being a fornicator? Is true biblical change... um, being being good enough not to not not to look at a woman when she walks past you. You're saying that you're saying that this is more than just about homosexuality, right? Because all homosexuality is is sin, and all of us here, whether it's a homosexual desire or a heterosexual desire for lust, it's all the same in God's eyes. So, what is biblical change? Well, let me th- throw a couple of ideas out here. If you if if somebody is somebody who has lust towards the opposite sex. Let's start there because f- for most of us that's where we are. And you're married and you have 3 kids, 4 kids, 6 kids, 9 kids and you have that lust and you struggle against it and sometimes you fail, but most, but you struggle against it and you succeed and you bring God's word to bear on it and you successfully live in that marriage and you never walk outside of that marriage and you fail with the lust every now and then, but you go to God's word and you bring it back. and it, That's growth. That's change. Okay? Well, what if you're somebody who struggles with, homosexual desires, homosexual feelings, and is married to an opposite sex person and has children and lives that same life. Struggle with the desire. Sometimes give in to the desire in your mind, but never physically. You go back to the word. It pulls you back to what, what Christ has done for you. You live in that marriage faithfully Sometimes struggling with your mind, constantly coming back to the word, that's growth, that's change, because it's only through the process of sanctification that we become more holy and blameless. You're not going to be holy and blameless 100% of the time right now, okay? It's that process. We're, We're not where we were yesterday. We're not where we're going to be tomorrow. But we're moving along that path. Let's say you're somebody who struggles with lust in a homosexual way. And God doesn't give you a spouse. And he calls you to live with dealing with that lust, that desire, those thoughts. Singly. In a wholly single relationship. And you do the same thing the other two did. Sometimes you fail. You come back to the Word. God, Jesus, reminds you of, of His forgiveness. And He carries you through those temptations. And, and people, are, people say, this is, this is difficult. This is very hard. But I want you to remember something. Um, Hebrews 4, 14-16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. but one who has has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was tempted in in the same ways that we are tempted. Now, that doesn't mean every different sexual temptation he experienced. But that means he was tempted sexually, just like we are tempted sexually. He never gave in, never gave in, never gave in to the uttermost. We can't say that. We give in. He has been tempted beyond any way that we can even understand. And he has walked through it successfully. And as our advocate, he can walk through that with us successfully. First John 2, 1 John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus completed his salvation work on the cross when he said it is finished, but all of his work was not finished. He stands at the right hand of the father as our advocate for every time that we sin. If you're Hebrews chapter four, let us draw near with confidence. It doesn't matter if your sin is Homosexual desires. It doesn't matter if your sin is heterosexual desires. It doesn't matter if your sin is, is um, gluttony. It doesn't matter if your sin is lying. Draw near with confidence because our advocate who has, tempt, has been tempted beyond us and was successful stands between us and the Father as our advocate. And I'm going to close with these verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us, here it is. You said, how do we do with other people? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit, but encouraging one another. As all the more, as you say, see the day. Drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You you constantly remind us as our advocate that you stand for us even when we sin. That you are there for us as our advocate. And it doesn't matter if the sin is homosexual or heterosexual or something not sexual related. That you will be our advocate. And that you and only you provide change. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word to remind us of these things. Help us to apply them as we move through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.